Uh, well, thanks. Turn to your Bibles to Psalm chapter 23. It's great to be here for one last time. And Miss Lynn already started up in choir. I said, stop it. We've got to make it to church first. I don't know if I'm going to make it. So if you're crying, don't look at me. <laughs> Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time together. Thank you for our church. Thank you for what it's meant to us for so many years. And we ask you to bless this evening. And uh, Lord, help us to remember and reminisce and have a good time. And it helps to give you the glory and all that's said and done in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we grew up singing and we grew up doing the stuff that we do in church here. And uh, my dad's mom was always known with the whole victory in Jesus thing and the whole Bartlett you know, music thing. Um, whenever anybody would say anything, the least little bit of bragging about that, wow, that's amazing or that's great, she would immediately cut him off and say, to God be the glory. It's not the Lord. It's not us. It's the Lord. Uh, it's not what we've done. And I think about that tonight. Um, anything that's said or done tonight in dealing with us is, is our family's been here. It's just to God be the glory. Uh, we couldn't say anything that we've done, but uh, we can say we can talk all night about what He's done. So it's not about us. Uh, it's about what Him and what He's uh, about Him and what He's allowed us to have. And so we appreciate. We appreciate already the support and encouragement and uh, the kind notes and words and texts. And, and uh, just uh, we've gained about 15 pounds eating over the last few weeks with all of you. We haven't made a meal in uh, the last couple of weeks. We've gone over to houses and gone out to eat. And it's been great to fellowship with all of you, as many as we could, uh, before we head out of town. Um, but uh, it's not about us. We want to say to God be the glory. Uh, tonight. We're thankful that you've given us a place to serve. We said this already, and I won't belabor the point, but thanks for giving us a place to serve. Uh, thanks for giving us uh, a place to be a part of, and uh, just, just, just let us have that fulfillment in serving. Church folks want to serve. Uh, Christians want to serve in the church, and the fact that you gave us a place, and uh, not only that, you called us friends, and you made us friends, made us family, and uh, man, we really appreciate it. We're so thankful for what you've given us here. Um, I know there's problems waiting where we go. There's no place without problems. Somebody said it one time to me, where there's people, there's politics. And where there's people, there's problems. And so the, the great thing right now is I don't know any problems that await us. And I know the problems that I'm leaving. And so for the last few days, it's been fun to say, I don't know and I don't care. I'm leaving. It doesn't matter to me. And so we're just relishing in that over the last few days and the next few days because when we get there, I know there's going to be problems waiting, but I don't know what they are. So ignorance is bliss, I guess, uh, as we leave. But uh, no, it's been great here. There's, there's just, uh, just been a wonderful time. It's, it's, it's been a place I've been glad and proud to call our church home. So thank you. Um, tonight, I just want to talk on some thoughts about moving, thoughts about this transition for us and what the Lord has kind of taught me. And I couldn't go away from Psalm 23. Uh, you kind of want to do something maybe that somebody hasn't heard before, like we haven't heard anything already, like we're going to hear anything new in the Bible anyway. 
uh, but I kind of wanted to go somewhere else, and I just could not get Psalm 23. The thoughts I was having and the lessons that the Lord has taught me through all of this uh, just lined up with Psalm 23, and I wanted to share a few with you tonight. We could be here all night if we did every one of them, but we'll just pick a few out that I feel like the Lord has taught us during this time, and uh, we'll hustle through here. Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When I was a kid growing up in church, I didn't understand that. I always read that as, The Lord is my shepherd, who I shall not want. And I thought, that doesn't make sense. Like, I shall want him, right? Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want anything, I guess is a better way to say that. Uh, but the first thing I've learned in all of this, and that's, that's really hit me, is you know it intellectually, but when, when you learn it at a little bit deeper level, it, it sticks, I guess. It makes, it makes more of a difference in your life. And the first lesson I've, I've kind of learned through all of this is that God really loves me. He actually, actually, actually cares about me. Um, and so if I can encourage you tonight, in reading in Psalm 23, the shepherd has his sheep. It says the Lord is my shepherd, which is a possessive. And the thought tonight is, and I just want to encourage you in this, that God really loves you. He really, really loves us. It's not just a cliche thing that we say. It's not just for God so loved the world and we sing Jesus loves me and go about our business. He really wants to know about my daily business. He really wants to know about me. He really is concerned about me. He has thoughts about me. Psalm 139, how precious are the sum of them, his thoughts toward me. So the thought tonight in Psalm 23 is we start right off the bat with he's my shepherd and the shepherd cares about his sheep. He loves us. He loves you. He loves me. He actually cares about me. And he loves you with all your problems, too. He loves you with all your doubts and your issues. He loves you with the things that frustrate everybody else. And that's a great thought because we all like each other at face value when we first meet. And then you get to know each other. And it's like, well, uh, we're going to go away from that guy. Or that girl. You know, we're, we're not going to be best friends. You know, we'll just be acquaintances. But God not only does that, he knows those weaknesses. He knows those issues you have. And he knows the baggage you have brought to church tonight. And he still loves you anyway. He loves you deeply. And he wants to do something in your life. Why? Because he's your shepherd. And if you're part of the flock, you're not just one of the many. You're not just, we, you know that song, 90 and 9? The shepherd went out to reach that one in the parable there. He cares about you, the one. And so it's a wonderful thought. He loves you and he loves all your problems. And he's not scared of your problems. He's not afraid of knowing you. He's not afraid of your problems and what you bring to the table. He already knows what they are anyway. So many times we try to hide our stuff from the Lord and try to come to him uh, cleaned up. And he goes, I know you're you're a mess anyway. Just come to me. Uh, he loves you and he actually cares about you. He cares about me and he loves you in spite of yourself. We read on in verse number two and uh, we see that the Lord, he compares himself to a shepherd. David compares him to a shepherd in verse number one. He says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Uh, one thing I've learned about the Lord in all this is that he leads like a shepherd. He doesn't lead like a tyrant. And again, I know God loves me, but when you feel it at a deeper level, and then when you feel this at a deeper, deeper level, I know he's a shepherd, I know he's good, but when, when you experience his goodness, in spite of yourself, again, in spite of the things you can look at in your life and the sins that you have, when you see that he leads like a shepherd, and he's not just a dictator, he doesn't hate you. Now, he might hate our sin, he might hate the things that we do, but he desperately loves you. And he leads like a shepherd. I was talking to my father-in-law through all this. And when we were making all these decisions or trying to make this decision and praying and just didn't know what the Lord was doing. And I was telling him about it. 
uh, months, months ago, um, he made a statement and it stuck with me. And, uh, you know, Brother Ogle plays off this Southern thing. You know, he just, I'm just an old country pastor. You know, if you've talked to him, you heard him. He, I'm just an old country boy. I'm just, and I'm little old me. And uh, he plays that off, but he has a, so many years of experience in dealing in the pastorate. And uh, there's so much wisdom there. And we were talking about uh, this decision for us. And he said, Heath, now I want to tell you something. God doesn't push, he pulls. And I thought, okay, you know, that's, that's nice, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I started thinking about that. The more and more, we, more and more we started praying, and I started realizing God doesn't push. The shepherd doesn't get behind the sheep. What kind of shepherd would get behind the sheep and say, go? Shepherd gets out in front, and he leads, he pulls. When he's asking you to do something, he's going with you. He's leading you down that way. We sing the songs, we hear the words, we know Psalm 23, but the shepherd leads, he he pulls you. He doesn't push. He doesn't say, go to the Father. He says, come unto me. How many times in the Bible and God, we see Jesus and God referencing us in the Bible and says, come, come to, come to me, all you that are heavy laden. If you need wine, if you need bread, come. If, you th- if you're thirsty, come this way. And it's a wonderful thought that the shepherd leads like a shepherd. He doesn't lead like a tyrant. Um, year, for years, people have asked us. We've been here. And, uh, you know, once we got settled, years and years and years ago, folks were going, now you're not leaving, right? And we would always say, well, no, we're not planning on leaving, you know, if the Lord moves us. And I, my pat answer started to be years ago, well, he's going to have to uproot us. He's going to have to rip us out of this place. We are rooted. We are grounded. We are here. I don't want to go anywhere. Um, first of all, the fact is moving's a pain. I don't want to do that. Uh, you know, we'll deal with stuff here instead of moving. I mean, it's, that's, the, that's the lesser of the two evils, I guess. But uh, no, we don't want to leave. And I always had in mind, if God ever moved us, um, that it was just going to be this process where he just grabs us and yanks us out of the ground and uproots us and throws us into a new place and says, you're going to serve here and you're going to like it. And if you don't, then you're a bad Christian. Get right with God, you know. And I always felt like it was going to feel that way. And as we started praying and, and going through this process, the Lord just started delicately pulling things away in our life. And he would get out in front and say, come on. And I would say, uh-uh. <laughs> no. He would say, come on. And he would take a few more roots up. And he would take a few more things out of our life. And take a few, he, would, he would answer a few more questions and say, it's time. Now, leading is uncomfortable. I'm not saying it's not uncomfortable. But the shepherd doesn't get in behind you and say, go, get get out of here. He pulls things away and he gets out in front and says, come on, it's time to leave this pasture. It's time to go somewhere new. And he doesn't yell and he doesn't scream and he doesn't throw a fit and he doesn't get aggravated at us. He just continually presses. And if we're willing to listen, he'll continually just knock on the door of your heart. And if you stay tender, he'll say, come on, it's time. And you realize after a while, okay, God's moving. God's doing something here. Uh, years ago, we had a kid, and we coached for years here doing football and basketball and everything else. I actually did volleyball this year. And uh, girls, we were 1-0 until you lost at Lighthouse. I would have had an undefeated volleyball record. Thanks a lot, volleyball girls. I'm leaving, and I would have been undefeated, but they lost the last game of the year. And uh, now I'm a 500 volleyball coach. But uh, we coached for years, and uh, one of the kids at basketball, we were just just getting on to him. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't hustle. He wouldn't be aggressive, and he could be a contributor. He just wouldn't. And I'm doing everything in my power. I'm trying to, you know, scream at him, yell at him, you know, let's go challenge his manhood, you know, all those things we like to do. And uh, he just, he would shut down. And I started realizing this is not working. Well, uh, his uh, parents came in one time. We were meeting about something. 
several of us were meeting. It wasn't about that specific issue, uh, but there were some things going on, and uh, we were meeting, and he said, look, if you would just take him, and if you would be a little more positive, and if you would help him out a little bit more, not, not get onto him so hard, he'd, he'd do anything for you. He'd, he'd run through that wall for you. He'll do anything if you just be easier on him. And at first, I thought, well, this is basketball. You know, here, it'd be easy. It's supposed to be hard, you know. It's the way we did it. It's the way my granddad did it and granddad did it. That's the way we played basketball back, back in the old days. You know, this is why we've always played. This is the man sport. You know, the thought, that thought crosses my mind like, no, you have, to obey, you have to do what I tell you to, the way I tell you to. And uh, finally, I just said, okay, that's, you know, I knew that was pride. Okay, let's try it this way. So actually, it was that day or a little bit later on, I called him in. And I said, look, man, I'm tough on you. But man, you're so good. And you have so much potential. And I get frustrated. The reason I'm aggravated because you're missing all that potential. You're going to be so good. And I started bragging on him. So you're talented. I've seen you do this, 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 this. I'm just trying to get that out of you. And I don't know how. And I've gotten onto you a little bit harshly. And you've shut down. But I'm, I'm here to tell you. It's not because I don't like you. I love you. I want you to do good. And I just began bragging on him. And giving him that reinforcement of we need you. We want you to be a good uh, a ball player. And you have so much potential. Man, that day of practice, before I ever got out there, he is flying around the court. Blocking shots, making, making, three, making everything. Out the next game, he dominated. I mean, 15, 20 points, all these rebounds. He just went out there and scored and didn't. didn't. And I learned something that day. Sometimes leadership, you don't yell and scream and push. You say, hey, come follow me. Let me show you a better way. And man, the Lord does that. When I deserve to be screamed at, yelled at, punished, he says, look, you're doing it the wrong way. Let me get out in front and show you my way. My way is easy. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. He gets out in front of us, and he leads like a shepherd. He's not a tyrant. Thank God for that, because we always think when God calls, man, I'm going to have to go to some mission field. I'm going to have to go to something. I'm going to have to go to some place I hate. I'm going to have to do things I don't want. And that might be true. You might have to do things you don't want to do. But boy, if the Lord's leading you, he'll make it straight. He'll make it right. We sing the song, he leadeth me, O blessed thought. What a wonderful thing that he's, he's leading. And the fact that if he's going to lead us, and if he's, if he's going to go in front, and if he's going to pull us and bring us to him, not push us out of the house and say, go find it on your own. He's going to bring us to him in this process. Well, that's a wonderful thought in and of itself. Uh, he leads us besides the water. And look at the end. Brother Jeremiah mentioned it even this morning. You know, sometimes there's brown grass there. Like, it's time to go. I'm doing this for your own good. Look at what he's, look at what he's leading to in verse number two. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And that sounds calm and easy, doesn't it? He leadeth me beside the still waters. I think it was Adrian Rogers that would ask the question, doesn't he still lead beside still waters? Are you in turmoil today? Are you hurting inside with things going on that nobody knows about? Maybe you're just not following the shepherd. Because he'll lead you to still waters. He'll make you lie down. Lying down is relaxing, right? It's, rec it's reclining. It's, it's laying down. He feeds me with those green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And that's easy. And what else does he do? Number three, he restoreth my soul. Tell me we don't need that in our world today. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse two and three all tell me all these good things he wants to bring me to. But I have to realize that he loves me, and I have to realize he's not, a, he's not a mean person upstairs. He's not the man up there screaming, throwing lightning bolts. He's, he's my shepherd. He has my best intention at heart. And through this process, I have learned that. He has the best things for me in his heart. He wants me to have good things. He wants me to have green pastures and still waters. He's not a tyrant. We move on to verse number four. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, evil for thou art with me. 
That rod and I staff, they comfort me. What else have we learned? I've learned that uh, I'm just kind of tired of separation. If I can be honest and transparent with you, I'm tired of all this. I'm tired of changing. I'm tired of people changing here. I'm tired of people leaving. I'm tired of staff leaving. I'm tired of learning new things. I'd just rather things stay the same. Uh, I'm a homebody, and uh, I just want to stay home. <laughs> and I've converted my wife into being that, too. <laughs> I don't think she used to be, but we've hung out long enough. I'm like, where do you want to go? I'm like, home. What do you want to do? Drink coffee. <laughs> Sit on the back porch and watch the birds. That's all I get. It's comfortable. I want to stay home. I want things to stay the same. I want the same people in the choir. I want the same people in the church. Yeah, we'll bring on more, but let's keep everything the same. Nobody leave. And one by one, we've seen staff leave and church members leave and God call people. And in all that, I just, I'm tired of it. I'm also tired, uh, not only of that separation, but there's a separation we've seen so many times, and it's the separation of death. I'm tired of people dying. I'm tired of watching these caskets roll down these aisles and sit right here and seeing another grieving widow, another grieving mother. I was a few weeks, a few months ago, we had a lady in here. We had a funeral that morning. I didn't realize the funeral home was getting here that early, and we had, some, had something to do in here, so I ran in here real quick. And uh, the casket was already down here, and a lady was down here. Uh, her and her son, her son in the casket, and she's weeping and grieving. I just thought, man, I'm tired of this. Uh, we first came here, and there was, a, there, was, there was a two or three, four or five-year period. I don't know. We, it was like we were averaging a funeral a month. It was uncanny. It was unbelievable. We were up 50 and 60 funerals. Uh, since we've been here, I don't know, we've 80, 100 or more funerals. Um, and I'm just tired of it. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of that separation. I was sitting over here uh, a few rows back behind the pallbearers from Miss Linda Smith's funeral. And uh, it's a wonderful service. We had a wonderful time talking about a wonderful lady. And we try to dress it up, and we put the flowers up here, and we put great things up here, and we, we make everything look okay. But we're trying to dress up death, and it just never, it doesn't really work because we all know what we're there for. And I was sitting over here behind the pallbearers, and I just, it's great service. There was nothing said or done that was, was negative or bad. It was just a wonderful time to celebrate her life. But I sat there, Brother Mike, Brother David, just, I just thought, I'm, I'm tired of this. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of coming up here singing for funerals. I'm tired of running over Beulah Land and singing it for somebody's funeral. I'm tired of folks coming, hearing the news that another church member's passed away or somebody we know has passed away. And separation is just an aggravation to me anymore. I don't want to change. I don't want people to change. I, don't want, our, I want our church to stay the way it is. And the problem is, that's just life. Verse number four says, I will, you know, yea, though I walk, it's not if I walk, I will walk through that valley of shadow of death. And not only death physical, but death is, death is a separation. Uh, we're going to leave here uh, in a few days and head off. And it's a death in our family. It's a death where there's a separation. We won't be here anymore. And it's not a physical death, but it hurts just the same that you won't be able to see each other. Not just the same, but it hurts, it hurts that, you're, that you're separated. And the psalmist writes that David knows about separation. And he says, I, I will walk through this valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil. I thought about Brother Donnie Morgan. He had mentioned uh, the other day they've had four funerals recently in his family. Um, and when we think about all that, the overlying thought is this. Sin is the separator. Lust brings sin and sin brings death. And death is that great separation. And so I just kind of sat over here during Ms. Smith's funeral. And I just thought, I hate, I hate this world. I hate where we live. I hate that we have to keep doing this. I hate seeing grieving church members. I hate singing for the funerals. I don't want to do this anymore. But I'll walk through that valley of the shadow of death. 
But thank God I'll fear no evil. And we're talking about people passing away, and we put that slideshow up during Easter, and it was such a blessing to so many people. It was a blessing to me. I've had more people talk to me, give me feedback that have left and have come back, that have left and have texted or called and said, thank you for putting my mom, my dad, my brother uh, on that slideshow. And it, that was just the whole thing. As we are leaving, as Rachel and I are leaving to bring the family, I just think of all those folks that aren't here anymore. And, but the thought is this, it's not supposed to be that way. And thank God, one day it's not going to be that way. We're not going to have to say goodbye in heaven. We're not going to have to move. We're not going to have to say goodbye to our church family and to a loved one down here. One day we're going to be reunited, reunited, and one day there will never be a goodbye. And so I don't have to fear death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's difficult. We're going to grieve. But I'm not going to be afraid because they're alive, and Christ is not afraid of death. And if I am in Christ, then I don't have to be afraid of death whether it's a physical death, whether it's a separation. Thank God we have a, we have a hope. Thank God we have victory. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We meet together and we talk about it. Let's remember today that I'm going to walk through that valley of the shadow of death. I'm going to be separated, whether it's in physical or whether it's uh, we move away, somebody else leaves. But thank God there's a hope that one day it's not going to be like that. We'll all be together with the Lord. The other thought there is thou, thou art with me. Look at the end of verse number four. Thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I'm going to walk through this valley. Some of you have walked through the valley of the death of a loved one. There's widows here tonight. We buried your husband. There's widowers. We buried your wife. There's men and women that we don't have. There's children we don't have here. And we have walked through that valley of the shadow of death. But thank God we have a promise that he is with us. And his rod and thy staff, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I'm just tired of separation. I'm tired of death. The other thought I have in verse number four as we're as we're transitioning and moving, and again, I don't know why. It was Miss Smith's funeral, it set things off, and I just I just began replaying folks in my mind. As I knew we were planning to leave and we were deciding to leave. It feels like we're leaving those loved ones that have already left us. Of course, they're in heaven, but it feels like, boy, I I don't want to do this anymore. But death not only is, is something that I just don't like and I'm tired of, but death is a reminder. There's a quote by Winston Churchill that I've heard recently, and I keep going back to it, and it's, it's, it's stuck in my mind. It's, and he said, when the tones of life ring false, we should refer to the tuning fork of death. When the tones of life ring false, we should refer to the tuning fork of death. Um, I have a tuning fork. Brother Dave, this is Brother Dave's tuning for speaking of folks that have gone on to be with the Lord, and I'm keeping it. I'm leaving with this. It just reminds me of Brother Dave and uh, his cantankerous, angry ways. We were talking about him the other day. He would practice before choir and get everybody riled up, and now I have to go like, Brother Dave, what's going on? And uh, folks were aggravated at him and his playing. He, was, he couldn't breathe. He was on oxygen those last few years, so he was aggravated. And uh, we just had a great old time in the choir room there. Uh, on Sundays, uh, but uh, I believe this is Brother Dave's. He left a lot of things with me. In the last few years, he was going down in health, and he said, Brother Heath, you know, here's some things, and uh, one of them was the tuning fork that he had, I guess, in college, and uh, it's tuned to an A. If we had Bo or Brother Ben come up, we would play an A, and it would meet this. I'm going to see if I can make this work here. Do you hear that? Maybe you hear that well. 
Uh, a lot of times, acapella groups, the guys that have been to school, Bo was talking about this the other day, and we've gone to see some of them perform at USM and some different groups, and they'll have these on their neck, around their neck, they'll have them tied, and uh, they'll sing acapella. Well, you don't want to have the piano play and ruin the mood, you know, play and give us the chord, and everybody wants to be on the same note and the right note. So instead of having this, you know, pitch pipe or a piano play, they all have this, and you can't hear it except when it's right by your ear. And so they'll, they'll, they'll hit it and make it vibrate, hear their note, or hear the note that, that puts them all in the same key, and then they'll adjust. And then they'll start the acapella song right away, and everybody knows where to go. And uh, it's pretty neat to see. I just thought about that. Winston Churchill said, when the, t- when the tones of life ring false, we should refer to the tuning fork of death. What is he talking about? This thing's not going to change. And when we get off, we remember death. Remember, there's a day I'm, I'm going to die. There's a day where I'm, it's not going to be separation where we're moving to another state or moving across the ocean. There's going to be a day where we're separated forever on this earth. And I better remember that day's coming. As a proverb that says this, it, it reiterates, reiterates the same thing. Death is, death is the destiny of all men, and the living should take this to heart. It's in the Bible, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 7. A good name is better than precious ointment. A day of death is better than one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Now, why would Solomon say that? It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living should t- lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better, and the heart of the wise, uh, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Why does, why does he say that? Why is it better to be in the house of sadness than mirth and glee and joy? He's saying the same words Winston Churchill was saying, remember death. When you're in the house of mourning, you're taught lessons. We've gone through this process and it's been agonizing, just to be honest with you. We've hate, I've hated every minute of it, praying and deciding this and hoping the Lord would allow us to stay and just close doors. We don't want to change our whole dynamic and our family and all this and the fact of the matter is there's more important things than what I want to do. There's a day of death coming. And really, the, some of our decision-making came down to, I told Rachel, I said, I, I can't face my kids and say, follow the Lord if I'm not willing to do it. I can't, you know, one day, maybe I'll be on my deathbed. Maybe it'll happen fast. Who knows? But I, I can imagine being on my deathbed and saying, man, we, I felt the Lord stirring and moving way back when we were uh, younger. But I just didn't want to do it, so I stayed, and I didn't tell anybody. The tuning fork of death reminds us there is a day coming. We see those caskets roll down this aisle. We see a friend or a family member pass away, and it's grievous and it's hurtful. But Solomon says, remember that. It's more important to do that than go uh, have pizza party and have fun. We like the fun stuff. It's more important than having ball games. The more important than doing all that stuff is learn those lessons in the house of mourning. When you're in that time of mourning, remember, there's a tuning fork. There's a, there's a thing to keep us all straight, and it's called death. Death is coming, hell is moving, the old hymn says. It's coming, and it's, it's got appointment with all of us. So not only am I, am I tired of death and am I tired of that separation, I'm also looking at death as a reminder, as a, this separation with us as a reminder, these folks that have passed away in our church as a reminder. One day I'm not going to be up here singing. One day it's going to be me down there. And what are they going to say about me? Dads, what is your family going to say about you? Somebody said, are they going to have to lie? (laughs) Say all good things, but it's not really true. Mom, what is your family going to say about you? Kids, what is your family going to say about you when it's your time to go? Death is a reminder. We don't want to be morbid tonight. I mean, we want to think about it every day, every, every hour and be depressed. But let's just remember our day of death is coming. and I don't know when it's going to come. Death is a reminder. I better get right. 
uh, the founding fathers many times would sign their document with a Latin phrase that says memento mori, which just meant remember death. And it was their way of saying, we're all going to die. Don't forget what's important. So the question is tonight, as we talk about death in the valley of the shadow of death, while we're in that valley, while we're in the valley of separation here for us, while we've gone through things, have you taken the lessons out of that house of, a house of mourning? We ask the question, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Well, let's ask the Christians, if you were to die today and see the Lord, how would you feel? Would things be undone? If you were to die today, what would you have left unsaid? What is being left unsaid in your house right now? What I love you is not being told to a son or a daughter. What I'm proud of you is not being told. What I love you is not being told between spouses. And we just, what if your day of death is on, remember death. What if your day of death is right here? Memento mori, remember death. I remember hearing about my granddad's death. We, years ago, we were in, uh, we had church and we were in school and I can remember, I was just four or five years old. It's one of my first memories, you know. It's very cloudy, but I can remember we were just kind of pulled into a classroom and dad and mom came in, shut the door. I don't know, mom was up there and all our family was up there. I think Stacy would remember this. But he whisked us in the, in the classroom and dad shut the door and he turned around, I could see mom crying. And my dad's dad had passed away. It had a massive heart attack and passed away in Wichita Falls, Texas. And dad told us, granddad went home to be with the Lord. Granddad went to heaven. Remember that thought. It's just a jolting feeling when you get that news. Death, cancer. But remember those words. Remember death. When the tones of life ring false, remember death. Remember uh, the tuning fork of death. So the question as, as we talk about death, what are you supposed to do? We, it's on the walls. We have it as our theme. What are you supposed to do now? You might not have a chance next year. What, do we ought to be, what should we, do, we be doing right now? How many of us are just holding off on being a Sunday school teacher, but we won't do it because we're scared? How many of us are holding off and starting a ministry or jumping into a ministry here at church or witnessing to a coworker, but we're scared? May I remind you to remember death is coming? Hit that tuning fork and remember, this is my plumb line to keep me straight. I gotta get things done before death hits me. I've gotta get things done before death comes to my house. Also, so we already said this, say what needs to be said. Uh, the, the, the quote we've heard, don't scatter roses after I'm gone. <laughs> don't tell people how good they are after they're already gone. And this time, we've, we've last two or three weeks, we've been talking to people and we've gone out to eat and fellowship with many of you. And we've all said the same thing. Why did it take this long for us to do this as frequently? Uh, we are at a funeral a few months ago, uh, last year or so, and uh, all the family got together. You know how it is. Why do we do this when it's only bad news? It's only a funeral is the time we get together. Don't say things after they're gone. Say them now. Death is coming. I'm tired of death, but death is a great reminder. So how would you live your life differently if you contemplated death a little bit more today? Jesus said, he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. <laughs> I've heard the phrase, I've been texted the phrase, not the phrase, the word. Some of you have said it, some of my friends who afar have said it, they've just texted it to me, and it's like all caps, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, Nebraska? <laughs> Listen, if that's what it takes to be closer to him, then so be it. But you're going to lose everything you did here. We've heard that several times. You're going to lose all that you've worked for. He that findeth his life loseth it. But he that loseth his life shall find it, according to Jesus. If this is a chance for us to have to lose our life, I don't know a soul out there. We've met a couple of folks. I don't have family and friends anywhere near us. We're picking up and moving. But if that's what it takes to get closer to the Lord, and that's what it takes to lose our life, then so be it. It's worth moving to go find the Lord. 
And so for some of us, again, it's worth volunteering in church to go find the Lord. It's worth losing your life and losing yourself in the church and in the ministry, not in necessarily full time, but find something to do for the Lord. Why? Because in losing what you want to do, you will actually find your life. And if finding my life is out there in the Midwest somewhere in the freezing cold weather, then so be it. We'll be shivering, but we'll have the Lord, okay? Last one, and we're done. Verse five, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When I follow the shepherd, verse number six says, his blessings follow me. So when I discipline myself, the last thought I've had through all this is when I discipline equals freedom. Somebody made that quote and I've heard it and I've stuck with it here. Discipline equals freedom. We have pianists over here that play in the church. And you know what some of them do? They go home and play and they play for enjoyment and they play for fun. And most of us, most of the pianists would say it's easier because nobody's watching and I just enjoy it. It's a freedom to play the piano that most of us can't sit over there and do. But when you've sat at that piano for hours upon hours, I was telling the uh, Dribbuses and some others uh, that we had a, we had a music doctor, uh, doctor of music come in and teach our school and church years ago. And he was here for a week and he taught some things and uh, he relayed us a story. He played the piano unbelievably and he has all these PhDs and all this stuff in music. So he's just brilliant and he can play. And uh, he relayed a story to us. He said, I knew a man that said, listen, I am, I am clearing out six months of my schedule this year. I want you to teach me how to play the piano just like you. And I've cleared six months. All I'm going to do is for six months, play the piano. And I want to be what you are being. And every musician that hears that story laughs and says, are you kidding me? Six months? That's like two beginner pages in the beginner book. (laughs) Somebody that sits down at at that instrument and plays for hour upon hour and hour actually learns the freedom of knowing what music can do and the freedom of expressing themselves. Same way with singing, same way with your job. Whatever you discipline yourself, it will give you freedom in that area. And if we discipline, that word discipline comes from disciple, and our disciple, uh, disciples ought to follow. So when we're following the shepherd in discipleship, we are disciplining ourselves past and behind his steps. And when I follow him, I turn around on the path where I'm following Christ. I'm walking with him, and I don't really like where I'm going, but he said, go, let's go. And he leads me. I turn around and find there's companions with me following me. As I follow Christ, I have goodness. I have blessings following me. Goodness and mercy follow me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. In all this, we've said it over and over again the last few weeks as we've uh, reminisced about our time here. The ministry is a joy. I can, I can see how we follow the Lord here and we turn around and there has been goodness and mercy given to us pressed down, shaken together, running over. The Lord has given us blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Why? Because we deserve it. Why? Because we're good enough. No, we just, we were taught to follow and we're dumb enough to believe. If you follow, you'll, you'll get what, he's, what his blessings are. The ministry is a joy. The ministry is not all, boy, the guys on staff, everybody on staff will tell you, man, there's days where it's just tough. There's, there's things that, there's bad news. There's deal, problems to deal with. But the ministry is a joy. It's not always perfect. My uncle, who did pass away, we went to a funeral here last year or so, and uh, my uncle pastored a church, Wichita Falls, Texas, for so many years. And uh, one of the quotes at his funeral, one of the folks, uh, the assistant pastor got up there and said he would follow, kind of the interim guy. He was following around a young guy. And uh, Uncle Charlie was dad's brother. And uh, some problem would happen. Some news would come in the church. And they'd invariably look around like, what do we do? How do we handle this? And 
there's some problems you just don't know what to do. And they would look at each other, and Uncle Charlie would look at the intern as he was panicked and kind of freaked out, and he would go, welcome to the ministry. And that was his like, hey, you're here. This is what happens when you decide to be in the ministry. And there are tough days. There are circumstances that don't always go your way. But, but it's just been a joy because discipline equals freedom. There's freedom there. Uh, years ago, we just, uh, years ago, I heard a preacher preach, and I heard about full time ministry. And one of our one of my friends had surrendered full time ministry. Started thinking about that, and um, had a camp. And the preacher said, "Anybody full time ministry?" And I'd been thinking about that, praying about that, and I was just like, "I want to do that." And surrendered full time ministry. Um. And so then, okay, we're going to go to Bible school, Bible college, and all that. And, you know, got married, went to college. Everything is according to plan. And then uh, the same word I hear with Nebraska today is what I heard about Hattiesburg. Hattiesburg? Where's that? I'm like, I don't know. It's Mississippi. <laughs> I wouldn't have picked Mississippi. Who knows where Hattiesburg is? We heard bad stuff about the church. The church was in turmoil back then. Many of us remember that we're back uh, there back then. And uh, no pastor for such a long time. It was just kind of a mess. And, uh, but me and Rachel, just we came here. I was relaying the story to a couple of folks. We sat back here in the back. Everybody was in Sunday school here. The whole church, because Brother Miller had just taken the pastorate. Nobody knew anybody. We didn't know the teacher. Didn't know what they were teaching. And it was just like everybody meeting Sunday school. The pastor teaching in Sunday school. We visited. And I sat back here. Brother Bennett, big tall Brother Bennett, was sitting back here. Uh, uh, huge man, and I just—it was one of those memories. I sat across from him, and I remember looking over at him, and uh, hearing the Sunday school lesson, sitting here in church, and uh, we were still engaged. I wasn't married yet. We were engaged, getting married that summer, looking for a place to go, and I hadn't thought much about Hattiesburg. It was just like, okay, yeah, we'll consider it, and started praying, and and we were sitting sitting back there in Sunday school, and I just said, man, this is it. I was smiling. You know, it's a Sunday school lesson. They probably thought I was looking, was a weird new guy back there smiling in Sunday school. I'm looking around smiling. Church wasn't in a good, in a good position. <laughs> a lot of things were, uh, were, were not done the right way here. A lot of things were uh, just left undone. And it wasn't the people's fault. It was just the way, the path that God had this church on without a pastor. And I sat back there and thought, this is it. And so we came to Hattiesburg. And, you know, for me, that was period. We're done. This is great. And we grew and learned. And thank you, church, for being so gracious to us. We made so many mistakes. I'm embarrassed about the things that we did early on. I'm embarrassed about our attitudes early on. But we had a great time, had a great time serving. And in my mind and in my life, Rachel and I could both tell you there was nothing outside of here. I told my Sunday school class this morning, I live in Mississippi. I live in the South. And then I moved to a place called Dixie, Mississippi. You can't get any Southern, more Southern than Dixie, Mississippi, except if you live in Jeff Davis County. Or Robert E. Lee Road, Miss Mary. That's about the only, that's, you can't get any more Southern. And I'm from the South. It was just like, I live in a place called Dixie, Mississippi. This is awesome. That's all I want in life. I get to serve in a church. I get to live in the South, period. We're done. Let's pick our gravestones. <laughs> you know, let's just, this is our life. And uh, the Lord had other plans and has other plans, apparently. You know, and so now our story is Nebraska and there's this, this dot, dot, dot. <laughs> to be continued. Now in my life, I don't like that. I don't want that necessarily. When we watch a movie and we see to be continued, we're like, yes, another one. I knew it was a cliffhanger. It's going to be better the next time around. The next step is going to be even better. The next part is going to be better. But in our lives, when we have it to be continued, we go, whoa, 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 I can't control this. Lord. And all of a sudden he puts us in a position of faith and he says, now, do you trust me? 
I have a dot, 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 and I'm not going to tell you what you're walking into. Are you going to follow me? And I get, back in the, I get back in the pathway, and I discipline myself to follow him. And in that discipline, I find freedom. I don't know what's waiting for us there. I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we're just being honest. I, don't, I wouldn't have picked this, but we're doing it to follow the Lord. And so as we leave, there's a to be continued for us. And I don't know what your story holds. I don't know what next year holds. I don't know what next month holds. But what is your story going to end with? Where are, you, where are you faltering maybe in your Christian life as we finish here? Listen, where's God leading you today? Brother Jeremiah preaches it and preaches it and preaches it and preaches it. God's will, God's will. Are you following him? What decision do you need to be making? Maybe it's a big decision like moving. Maybe it's a small one like open your Bible and read it. But what what is God leading you to do? Get behind the shepherd. He's not going to push you and shove you. He's going to say, come on and find life. Come on and find me. And when you start disciplining yourself, you'll find freedom in your life. What's God leading you to do? Maybe there's a ministry you need to take up. Maybe there's somebody you need to witness to. Maybe there's a family member you need to talk to. Maybe there's a relationship you need to build, somebody you need to connect with. Are you even close enough to hear him? You know, if the shepherd's acres and acres away, if he's miles and miles away on the other side of the field and he starts calling it, I'm not close. I can't hear him. Maybe your decision needs to be, I got to get closer. I don't know how to follow the Lord because I, I can't hear his voice. Maybe it's because you're far away. Maybe there's sin in the way. You can't hear the shepherd if you're not close. We read Psalm 23. Going back to Adrian Rogers, does he still do that today? Does he lead us today or was that just for David? No, he leads us. He leads us beside still waters. He leads us in green pastures. Man, woman, boy, child, he will lead you if you let him. Is, he the only, is David the only one that needs to be led by God, or is it us too? Let's look at Psalm 23. Don't read it in the abstract, like, that's pretty poetry. That's a wonderful psalm. I'm glad the Lord's leading. No, what is he leading you to do? What is he leading you to grow in tonight? Uh, we can't say thanks enough uh, to what you've meant, for, meant to us and what you've done for us over these last almost 16 years. Um, and those are a few things we've, we've looked at. And I have, I've looked at Psalm 23 and seen the shepherd work, not just on the black words on white pages, but I've seen him work in our lives and thought, he's actually doing that. He is the real shepherd of Psalm 23. Thank God we have a shepherd that leads. Thank God he's our leader. Thank God he loves us. If you listen, his voice will speak to you. If you're attentive, he'll talk. And when you follow him, you'll find freedom. You'll find great things. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. I want goodness. I want mercy. I want those blessings. Let's follow him and watch his blessings follow us. Let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time. Thank you for this church, what it's meant to us. Thank you for Psalm 23 and how it's spoken to me and how it's been such a help to me during these times. And thank you that you're the shepherd. You're the good shepherd. You give your life for the sheep. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you came to give us life. You came to give us green pasture, still water, freedom, goodness, and mercy, all good things that you came to give us. Help us to learn to discipline ourselves to follow you uh, in this and help, uh, help this church to move forward. Help this church to do what it ought to in following you. And uh, if there's anybody who's being called tonight of you, who's being uh, summoned by you to come, to follow, to do more, whatever it might be, help us to make decision. Thank you for our time together in Jesus' name. Amen.